this episode, we'll continue our discussion on holiness in the book of Revelation. In his essay titled On Earth as it is in Heaven, Holiness and the People of God in Revelation, the New Testament scholar, Dr. Dean Fleming, has laid out a contour of holiness in the book and shows the significance of holiness. Rightly, Dr. Fleming begins by showing us that the holiness of the people of God in Revelation is predicated on the holiness of God and makes mention of the fact that holiness is not in the first place an ethical ideal, but the identity and the character of God that we've already highlighted in the last episode, but just to remind ourselves. And of course, he makes the important point that the church is holy only as it is in relationship with a holy God. Whenever we talk about holiness, we need to bear this in mind, that our holiness is derived. The holiness of God is intrinsic. That's who he is. Another name that could be used for God is holy, the holy one of Israel. But our holiness is derived and our holiness is required. God's holiness is spotlighted very clearly in the book of Revelation. And there's no mistaking about it that holiness becomes very, very important. Unlike Dean Fleming said, the only appropriate response to a holy God and to Christ, the slaughtered lamb, is worship. So we need to bear this in mind. Holiness should drive us to worship. Holiness actually will lead to acceptable worship. But let's go on and look at holiness in the book of Revelation. What we need to note first is that holiness in the book of Revelation is primarily communal, primarily communal. We need to say this clearly. Yes, holiness is certainly personal. It's something we experience personally, but it is never individualistic. It is within the context of a community. The holiness we see in the book of Revelation is not an exception to that idea. Of course, we find it in the Pauline epistles or letters, if you may, when it calls the people of God to live in certain ways. Yes, individuals, individual persons are affected in some cases, but we need to bear in mind that these individuals are just as important as constituent members of the community. So the community is very important. When we come to Revelation, we see that the holiness of Christians is portrayed largely in corporate terms. And that is basically consistent with John's belief that the church stands in continuity with Israel as the end time people of God. We need to remind ourselves that the church is God's eschatological locus of activity 
in these last days. And the church stands in continuity with Israel. And what we see John doing in Revelation is co-opting Old Testament languages and images to describe holiness. And then he reapplies them to the church as God's new eschatological community. For example, twice, for example, he identifies the church as a kingdom and as priest. That we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 10. Now, what such language does is to evoke the foundational covenant passage of Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. That's a passage that is well known, where God calls his people unto holiness. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6 is significant as God establishes his covenant with his people, and he tells them that they will be a peculiar people. They are going to be a royal priesthood. Let's read that passage, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Here God tells Israel, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we see John, the apocalypse, the <clears throat> John, the revelator, referring to that language as a kingdom. The church both acknowledges and shares in the rule of Christ. <clears throat> we see that in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 to 27. When John calls God's people priests, the whole people of God, not just a class of religious specialists, we need to bear that in mind. Today, when we hear the word priest, we think in terms of elite group of people or a certain type of people, no, but it is all believers everywhere, the whole people of God who are called and consecrated to a vocation of worship and of offering prayers. We see that in Revelation chapter five, verse eight and eight and four, and we're all to offer sacrificial service to God. But moreover, as Israel was marked out to be a holy and priestly nation, mediating God's light to the Gentiles, the new community of priests conveys God's presence to the nations through its distinctive and faithful witness. Now, that has staggering implications for the church today. So know that we are holy people, we are called unto holiness. That has staggering implications. It's not just that we talk about holiness and write it on paper as a doctrine we believe. No, not at all. It must be more than that. It must be more than that. The implications for the church today is that our call to holiness must flow out of our vision of a holy God. And of course, it teaches us that it is in the community's worship of the Holy One that we affirm that God and the Lamb must be enthroned. This message of holiness 
in Revelation has strong implications for us today. It has a strong communal emphasis. We have seen that it draws richly from Old Testament covenant language and Israel's corporate story. What the seer does is to picture the church as a community of saints set apart from the ethos of the dominant culture in order to radically belong to God. And that is still what is demanded for us today. It's very, very important for us to bear in mind. And you see that vision culminates in the new Jerusalem in which a purified people from every nation is gifted with abundant shared life in the intimate presence of God. Now, when you see Revelation and you see holiness in that book, it serves as a corrective to us today where we see sanctification primarily limited to inward experience of the individual believer. Revelation goes beyond that. The book of Revelation shows us very clearly that personal holiness only has true meaning in relation to the character and the life of the Lamb's community. When those who are called believers, those of us who are called by the name of the Lord, when we focus solely on our individual personal relationship to Christ, and we are not related to other members of Christ's body, we are settling for something less than biblical holiness. Let me repeat myself. When we focus on our personal, individual relationship, individual personal holiness and relationship with God, whereas we neglect our relationship with others, we are wasting time altogether. We have a holiness that is less than that of God. John Wesley's claim that the gospel of Christ knows of no holiness, but social holiness still rings true today. That's what Wesley said, no holiness. The gospel of Christ knows of no holiness, but social holiness. That was true then at the time of John Wesley, and that is true up till now. So we see holiness in Revelation is communal. And of course, we see the language that is used. Again, in Revelation, you'll find the word people, laos, which represents the church on just two occasions, but they are very weighty in their significance. In chapter 18, verse four, a heavenly message is sent to my people, commanding them to separate from the sins of Babylon, just as God's people Israel were called to distance themselves from the depravity of the pagan nations around them. It's very sad that today, what people know too most is 1 John 1, 9, if, I mean, that's all we know. If we say we have no sin and all that, that's what we know. But we forget Romans chapter six and some other passages of the scriptures. And we take the grace of God as something that permits us to sin. But the holiness in the book of Revelation makes it very clear that God's people must be separated from sin. He commands them to separate from sins of Babylon, just as God's people, Israel, were called to distance themselves from the depravity of the pagan nations around them. We can't say it's too much. 
holiness still demands separation. Now, don't get me wrong. Separation is not the same thing as segregation. There are two different things. To be separate doesn't mean you are segregated. To be separate, you distance yourself from everything ungodly. You distance yourself from everything that is sinful. And the church needs to emphasize such holiness today. And of course, we're told in Isaiah chapter 52, 11, come ye out of them, depart from them, depart, depart. Those who bear the vessels of the Lord, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 8, gives us the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 45, we are told to separate. And of course, later, John describes the end time community in New Jerusalem in 21, 13, it shifts to peoples, peoples. So here you see in Revelation, redefining the identity of God's holy people from Israel, a single elect nation. So what we find in heaven is a multicultural chorus of worshipers, multicultural, brown, black, white, whatever you want to call them, multicultural from all the peoples of the world. This is not just a heavenly state of affairs. Christ has already won the decisive victory in his sacrificial death and resurrection. He has now constituted the eschatological people of God gathered from all nations. What do we know again about holiness in the book of Revelation? Holiness in the book of Revelation is ethical holiness. Let's not forget that one of the goals of Revelation is to call its readers to resist compromise with the earthly powers and to motivate them to faithfulness and obedience in the light of God's ultimate purpose for his creation. It is therefore hardly surprising that we discover there's a, there's a very heavy emphasis on ethical holiness. The saints who are holy by virtue of their relationship to God must reflect that holiness in their character and their conduct. Can we say that too much today? Holiness is both gift and task for the people of God. Remember, ethical holiness, required holiness. Like the book of Randy Maddox, the title is Responsible Grace. Yes, we receive the grace of God, but the grace we receive from God is responsible. In other words, our holiness must show forth in the way we live. We can't just say we believe it, but how does it work in our lives? How does it show forth in our lives? That's the issue. Holiness in the book of Revelation is not merely theoretical, not at all. It is practical. And we read over and over in the message to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus keeps on saying, I know your works. I know your works. I mean, you'll find, for instance, a church in Sardis, a dead church. It was more of a corpse than a living church. And you see the church in Pergamum and the church in Thyatira filled with idolatry and immorality. These were churches that tolerated false teachers and anything goes. That's the kind of church they had. And unfortunately today, 
will find elements of all these churches in the churches in the church of today. And the church is called on the holiness. You find false teachings in our churches today. You find immorality in our churches today. Needless to say, you find a lot of evil being perpetrated in many churches. And we can't say it's too much. Recently, we learned in a particular country that the church leaders will go and sacrifice, they go and sacrifice people so that the churches could grow. Now you say, well, can that be true? Yes, it is true. They go sacrifice people, kidnap children, sacrifice them, pour their blood, their churches will be growing. Now, do you call that a church? That's not a church. That's a cult, but they call upon the name of the Lord. They read the Bible, they worship. And those are not churches. And today we are being called to ethical holiness that the church of God, people of God, must demonstrate holiness in their lives. And that's why the churches in Revelation chapter two and three are called to repent. Today we find a lot of compromise in churches, a lot of compromise with the idolatrous culture around them. Is it not true today that many churches are compromising their faith based on political expediency? Sometimes it's because we want to make more money. Who gives more money? We want to build large edifices and therefore we compromise our faith. The call to repent is there over and over. Repentance means not only turning of the hearts towards God, but turning away from doing evil and embracing a new lifestyle of obedience. The church is being called today. Listen, a church that refuses to repent and persists in unholy practices is in danger of having its lampstand removed totally and completely. That is, the judgment of God is very sure. But if a church will turn away from its iniquity and its unrighteousness, the Lord has promised his spirit's renewing power. But not only is the church, not only is holiness communal or ethical, the holiness that is commanded in the book of Revelation is a public holiness, a holiness that is shown in the life of the people. Now, let's not forget that the theology of holiness in Revelation is closely tied to the context John addresses. The church leaves out its holy calling in a world that is dominated by a Roman empire. And remember, the Roman empire had absolutized its power. They had absolute, it has absolute, absolutized its power and hijacked the claim to supreme sovereignty that belongs to God and Christ alone, where Caesar is being seen as God. You see the self-deifying order, which was demonstrated above all in, in the cult of Caesar, which was particularly viral in the cities of Asia. So the church had a responsibility to live a holy life in the public arena. That is very important. In the, in the presence of the Caesar cult, the church had to take a stand. That has an implication for us today. It is important for the church to take its stand. You see, 
Our holiness must be public or publicly oriented. So the call today is a call to publicly oriented holiness. And you see the appeal coming out of Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. Rather than go back and recoil and retreat into personal piety, holiness helps to define the church's relationship to its cultural, political, and social world. Revelation reminds us that as a wholeness that will be imparted to God's people when we see his holy face. You see, holiness and hope go together. Holiness and hope go together. Holiness continues to give the church an alternative way of seeing the world and that alternative way of seeing the world shapes our character and daily practice is the vision of the new Jerusalem to come. We are waiting for an holy city. We're waiting for a holy city, looking for that day when the Lord will come and we'll go to the new Jerusalem. Isn't it wonderful? You see the church reaching its fulfillment in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 22:5. In contrast to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which need to repent of their evil deeds, the coming holy city represents the church in eschatological fullness. And you know what? When you talk about New Jerusalem, the hallmark of that city is moral purity. The new holy city fulfills all the longings, all the ancient longings for the ideal human community, which was characterized not only by physical beauty, but especially by the ethical lives of its citizens. So we serve a holy God, we serve a holy God as a holy people, and we live ethically holy as the Lord enables us, and we make sure that holiness is public. We don't hide it. We live in contradistinction to the society we live. This is a, the church is a contrast society. As the scholar Gerald Loffin puts it, the church is a contrast society, but then we have a hope when everything will be made new. Listen, holiness prepares us for that day. That day we are longing for, when the bride of Christ meets the bridegroom. What a day, what a time it will be. But let's remember, we need to be prepared here and now. And let's not forget, it's not just a call to personal holiness, it's a call to communal holiness. Father, we thank you because of the call to holiness. You are a holy God. Grant us the grace, Lord, to live in ways that please you and bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, and God bless you.